Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and to get today my guest is Peter Grunwald, who's an Alexander Technique teacher who lives in Auckland, New Zealand. He also gives workshops around the world. His specialty is teaching uh, his uh, a type of vision training that he has developed over the years. He's been an Alexander technique teacher for 25 years and about 20 years or so he's devoted to studying vision and its connections with the Alexander technique. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi Robert, wonderful to be on your show. Uh, it's really good to have you on this. I've heard I've heard good things about your work from a lot of people and um, it's a great opportunity to talk to you. I wonder if you can give our listeners who may not know what the Alexander Technique is a very, very short description of the Alexander Technique. Well, a brief description would be for me how to use ourselves in a more efficient and economical way. That uh, is in the way how we use our brain and our body in such a way that we can apply our efficient ways in day-to-day -day activities, such as in playing music, driving a car, reading. Yes, and, and I think um, for most people who have studied the technique or who teach the technique, um, the question of vision as part of that overall use of ourselves is not terribly emphasized. Um, I know that uh, Alexander anecdotally talks about it once or twice and sometimes students will report that their vision has improved. But yes. it isn't really, uh, it's not like back pain, which is kind of a standard reason why yeah. people come for Alexander lessons. So you've obviously, we had a little discussion before the podcast, and, and you, you've devoted a lot of time to studying vision uh, on yourself and on people you've worked with. How would you relate the Alexander technique to vision and vision improvement? Yeah, um, uh, there I might uh, like to say it first where I'm coming from, apart from being born in Germany, as you can hear. Um, um, my part of coming to the Alexander work was um, I had lower back pain, but I was stuttering really severely. Apart from this, uh, my body was very slumpy, was very hunched forward, uh, and I was wearing glasses for, for nearsightedness from the age of three, uh, which I ended up with minus uh, di um, um, ten and a half diopters for short-sightedness, for nearsightedness, mm -hmm. and astigmatism. Mm -hmm. Well, at that time, before my Alexander training, I had no idea that maybe all of those things might be relating and directly interrelating. Mm -hmm. So during my Alexander training in Sydney in Australia, I learned to overcome uh, most of my stuttering habits, apart from my whole body was much more elongated, was much more uh, upright, and my breathing in my lower back felt much better. But there was still this really thick, heavy pair of glasses on my nose. And when I recognized, just a moment, Peter, if I can improve on my, my speech and my body posture, 
why not on my eyesight? Mm -hmm. And um, there was really, uh, really figuring out what do I really want? Do I want to get a new pair of glasses or contacts uh, or nowadays doing a laser, laser surgery for it? Or do I really want to do this thing naturally? And I was really inclined to answer this very clearly um, with the thing that I would like to do this naturally. And I somehow had a huge amount of commitment mm-hmm. of undoing my, at that time, I knew only about eyesight. I had no idea that eyesight would lead me to vision and to leadership. Mm-hmm. So when I started back in the 1990s, I, I was drawn to a, a vision teacher who I came across, Dr. Janet Goodrich, who um, was at that time a, a famous Bates teacher from the States, was doing a weekend workshop in Australia, in Sydney. Um, I discovered when I took my glasses off for the first time consciously, I couldn't see more than about 10 centimeters in front of my nose. Everything was totally and utterly blurry, like, like milk glass. Mm-hmm. And I was very disturbed. Emotions were rising. And when I put my glasses on again, the emotions were dwindling instantaneously away and I could see totally clearly. And I took them off again, to put them on, and I discovered just a moment, Peter, when I take them off and or when I put them on, I maybe can see everything clearly. But I like to find out when I take them off What's happening with the blur? Like, I wanted to find out how, how is the blur being made? made? How, where does the blur come from? Mm-hmm. Because I put them on, it's clearly the blur is there, totally blurry. And, or, um, it was totally blurry. And so I, I noticed that the tree or the letters in front of me, they did not know that they are blurry. Mm-hmm. But the blur must be somewhere in my brain, somewhere within myself where the blur sits. You created and the blur. I somehow, I somehow was in the blur. I was somehow creating the blur. And that's where I became interested in finding out more about the blur rather than seeing clearly. <laughs> mm, that, that's interesting. Now, you mentioned that your teacher was a Bates teacher, and we should perhaps mention that there is in the field of vision re-education, a method known as the Bates Method, uh, named after an American ophthalmologist, I believe, Um, uh, lived in the early part of the 20th century. It's a somewhat controversial process. Uh, There there have been, um, I think for a while, New York State didn't allow people to teach the Bates method yes. for some. It's weird back, history back to it. Back, but back then, back and in it's the, based and it's based very much on eye exercises right. with some visualizing. And um, for me, um, the exercises they were in the beginning quite quite good, but then after a while, I really lost interest. It was like, it was hard work, and particularly emotionally, it was hard work. Right. And, um, and so, um, for me, in the beginning, the Alexander work and the Bates method, they did not really come together. Mm-hmm. It was like an exercise system in mm-hmm. relationship to eyesight, and on the other hand, the Alexander principles, which is directly relating to a mindfulness uh, intent or intentions where head, neck, and back relationships can really function together. Mm-hmm. And the eyes, they were somehow not part of this. And it was back in 1992 
where one day I was in my teaching room here in New Zealand, and I was pondering about a stigmatism. I had a very strong stigmatism, which is the curvature of the cornea. And with this curvature on, um, of the cornea, I had suddenly like a kinesthetic, like a felt sense of my cornea. Sounds strange, but I had it. Mm -hmm. And um, just like one can have a, a sensation, let's say, within our hands or within our feet. And so I had a sensation within the cornea together with visualizing seeing my cornea. And, and I was thinking of tightening my cornea. And as I was doing, I noticed that my chest area was starting to slump. Mm -hmm. Well, for me as an Alexander teacher, it would have been easy to get out of the slump. But I stayed with my slump and I thought again about the cornea releasing and opening and widening. And at the same time, I noticed that my chest area was opening and widening out. So you were and basically using Alexander-type directions directly exactly. on your cornea. Exactly this one, just like we can use for our back. Mm -hmm. And just like a yo-yo, I could, when I was thinking this and I thought of tightening or releasing, my chest area was starting in one moment to go up and to go down. And it was a very, very exciting time because I had a sense, my God, there might be something within the eye which has got a direct relationship to the body. Mm -hmm. And a few weeks or months later, I thought with the nearsightedness in every anatomy book it's written that the eyeball is more elongated. Mm -hmm. Then I thought the retina, which is a back area of the inner part of the eye and the intrinsic part of the eye, maybe there's a relationship there to something else in the body. So then I had again a kinesthetic sense of my retina and I saw my retina, I imagined my retina, and I sort of, and I can't, and I would say for the listeners not to practice because it can be very painful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let me practice it. Mm -hmm. So when I thought of narrowing and tightening my retina, I noticed that my whole lower back was starting to narrow and tighten too. The mm -hmm. whole sacrum was narrowing and tightening. And as soon as I thought more of a about the panoramic or peripheral part of the retina, the whole retina was starting to lengthen and widen out, in particular my lower back was starting to lengthen and widen out. And there were my first discoveries about 20 years ago that there were direct relationships, that there are direct relationships between the physiology of the eye and the physiology of the physical body. Do you have, uh, I mean that's fascinating and I wonder if you've ever explored uh, working in reverse on that, that is um, uh, letting yes. your chest be uh, easy, not compressed, lengthening and widening, lengthening and yes. wide, all the usual Alexander stuff. Yes. And ha have you have you found that that it's can have an effect on the cornea? Well, to a to a small degree, yes. Uh, what I discovered then later on, an overall coordinating mechanism within the brain itself. This, at that time in the beginning, was just almost like small details without yet having really an overall vision for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would like to head now too. <laughs> yes. Because yes. I, was, I was starting gradually to map out the eye in relation to the body. And then I drew it up. And I could almost like just find only the torso on my on my map. 
There were no arms, there was no head and no legs. Mm -hmm. And then I saw just a moment, it must continue here. And I moved kinesthetically inside the brain. And suddenly I discovered inside the brain, if you lay your, your hand in the back of the skull, which is in the neocortex, that's the, the whole area of the visual cortex. The visual cortex makes up about a third of the whole neocortex. It's a vast area, as far as I know, the biggest area in the entire neocortex. It's really big. Mm -hmm. And just above the neck area, that's the region where, let's say, we, our clear-sided perception is held. And with a clear-sighted perception is, I think very often people are confusing clear-sightedness with mental focus. And to mental focus, I like to come back later on. Mm -hmm. And in the higher region of this visual cortex, roughly where our hair spiral is, there I discovered an overall coordination, let's say a energetic overall coordination which links us already with our let's say with our intuition or with our uh, god consciousness mm -hmm. with something which we all have um, uh, in relationship to the coordination of our three brain layers and out of each brain layer grew another aspect of the physical eye mm. so through my through my vision work i discovered an overall coordination within the brain itself. And did you so? And did you also learn to direct or manipulate that uh, area? Exactly. And later on, I came to this that I was able out of this overall coordination, which is the area for our visualizing, um, where where we are visualizing out of consciousness, out of which I would be bringing in in nowadays directions for brain, eye, and body, so that we are able, that we are able to, reorganize, uh, to reorganize fluid and structures of the physical eye. And, and is that then basically what you teach on your workshops? Yes, I would be teaching of how we can really make contact with our visual system, uh, with inhibition and direction, with stopping of interfering in our own brain. I come to this, to the focusing in a moment. And... Uh, I would be really teaching people of how to get a handle of how to direct their own brain mm -hmm. in relationship to the eye, the physiology of the body, and very important, in relationship to our daily activities, like, for example, like reading mm -hmm. or driving a car. And I say here, without the need for glasses, because once we are starting to use our brain in a constructive way, the need for glasses will become less and less and less to the and, point that they are not anymore necessary. And do you use, uh, as Alexander teachers typically do, a combination of hands-on and verbal guidance to do this? Yes, very much so. I'm, I'm using my, my, my hands, my Alexander's trained hands, to direct people um, in relationship to their brain's coordination and to the physiology of the physical eye, and that's always aided in relationship to the body. And the typical people who would be coming, or the symptoms which I see, are usually people with, I mentioned already, the nearsightedness, uh, but as well the presbyopia suddenly from age 
from age 40, 45, 50, that the letters, that the arms are getting too short and the letters are blurring. Right. And then I'm, uh, which I can explain as well of the natural tendency, how this occurs. Um, then I work with people with squints, with glaucoma, with cataracts, um, with, um, with lazy eyes, but all, and, and each vision fatigue, each vision symptom has got directly symptoms within the physical body and within the brain structure itself. So um, it sounds like, that, sounds like what you've discovered is not so much, say, working, directing the cornea to affect the chest or the retina to affect your lower back, but you're really directing something which in turn directs everything else. Exactly is that, that. Is that, I mean, a, a yes. more, um, more basic uh, pattern that you're looking at, which, which, apparent, which I yes. assume has some physical aspect to it, some perhaps uh, tensing of, of the fascia or muscles around that area, that kind of thing. Very much so, yeah. but I, I want to go more intrinsically rather than just staying with the extrinsic eye muscles. Right. Within this upper visual cortex, I notice there is our, our physical body, our eyes and bodies are coordinated in there as well, so that the uh, brain um, st- um, structures are starting in a, sl- a slight way to rotate, which then rotates the optic nerves, which then rotates the three uh, body, the uh, the intrinsic aspects of fluid and structures of the eye, eyes, and the physiology of the body follows. And it's again, as I was saying, always in relationship to the environment. The environment, I think, plays a very important um, role for our system how how, how would you relate that um to uh, what alexander uh termed primary control that is the head yes. head neck torso relationship yes. which m- most alexander teachers would say is uh kind of if you're going to intervene somewhere and you only yes. can do it one place that would be a good one uh it sounds like um Maybe from from just listening to you, that yes. maybe there, in your view, there's something as primary or more primary than primary control. Would that be a fair statement? Or a very fair statement. I think the head neck re- uh, back relationship is one of the co- points of coordination. Whereas, oh, and within the brain, which is a, within a higher region of the brain, there is another coordination which an overall coordination which allows our physical, emotional, mental, and let's say spiritual uh, aspects to coordinate there together. I remember I went to Walter Carrington, to Walter Carrington's training school, who is for those um, people who are new to the Alexander um, um, technique, uh, who was a very famous Alexander teacher who trained with Alexander himself. And um, I remember he came down his stairs and uh, he was saying, Peter, I was just um, um, had a glimpse at reading through your I-Body book. 
And I, I do agree. I, I think we, um, um, we have got a primary coordinating mechanism in our brain itself. Unfortunately, by that time, he moved then already into, into his training program and we had no more time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, and Walter Carrington was very much a visionary. Um, yeah, he absolutely. really yeah. was a total visionary um, he kept Alexander's vision going, and I was always so fascinated when I listened to a lecture from him, and I and I was was with him. I listened to a lecture uh, by him. He t- he he had extraordinary visionary words, and somehow to me they didn't really make sense what he really talked about. Yet each time when I left, I felt so much more mm-hmm. coordinated, and I was so much more present. He, he was a master of that, that's for he sure. He was a master of this. Yes. And, and I think we can have a step-by-step, a means whereby how we can use really vision, and I call it stewardship, <laughs> stewardship mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. brain, eye, and body, and the environment, and which comes then into leadership which affects brain, eye, body, and really our environment in a constructive way. Well, Peter, uh, this might be a good place to bring our talk to an end. What do you think? Unless you have something you want to add. I would like to add one other thing, because so far I just brought direction into, I think, something which is very important, which is Alexander's notion of inhibition, Mm -hmm. of stopping interfering. And this where the listeners probably can relate to much, much more occurs in the lower visual cortex, namely in this aspect for focusing. And by focusing, I distinguish between over-focusing, which would be like over-focusing, I've got one end in mind, I'm Alexander's notion of end-gaining, mm-hmm. and maybe many of us, we can relate to this when we are really over-focused on one particular single thing. Mm-hmm. And the and the other side of over-focusing would be under-focusing, which would be daydreaming, mind-wandering, mm-hmm. switching off, like mm-hmm. reading a page, even if we can see it totally clearly by the end of the page. What did I read here? I have to start again. So this over- and under-focusing, I think, comes from the family of doing, overdoing and underdoing. And I think... It always keeps us in our limbic brain, in a brain which is a little older than our neocortex. And so there's always an interference of what's happening in the brain itself. And I think we are not coming to our overall, our brain's overall coordination. And there is a third option there, which comes out of consciousness, which is the intent for presence. Out of the intent for presence, I can allow everything, my Body kinesthesia, uh, my pictures, my, uh, my sounds, my uh, short-term memory, my long-term memory from aeons of, of time, my cell memory to rise, yet letting go of the attachment for it. And letting go of the attachment, it transforms in this middle brain directly into essences which are rising to the upper visual cortex. And that's where I really make contact with my overall coordination. And that's where I've got a direct link to my physiology of my eyes so that I can undo the eye symptoms of nearsightedness, farsightedness, and many other things as well. So in in your view, um, improving uh, your, your nearsightedness or your farsightedness or whatever 
is kind of a byproduct of a much bigger transformation. Yes. You know, I think this would be a great place to bring our conversation to a close. We're going to put a link to Peter's website by the conversation. He does give workshops on around the world. I know he comes to the States every year, and he, I, I, I believe you teach in Europe as well, right? Yes, and, Australia, New Zealand. And, and Australia. He lives in Auckland, so if you're lucky enough to be in Auckland, New Zealand, and anything we've talked about intrigues you, uh, give him a call. And um, uh, I think that's... Uh, yeah, go ahead. You had a, a best Yes, the best starting point probably would be reading the iBody book in 2004, right. and now with several up, updates, I've been re, um, writing really a fundamental book in relationship to brain, eye, and body. And I'm sure you can order that book through, 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 through his, the website. his website. Yes. So, and this yeah. of my teachings there too. Okay, and um, I, think, I think this is a good place to, to end the conversation, though, Peter. Thank you, thank much, you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much.